Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights, 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 lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. This is Joseph Bromfield in Nashville, Tennessee, playing the role of Michael. This is Lauren Ellens in Nashville, Tennessee, playing the role of Joan. Lights up. Joan sits by the pool in a one-piece dark bathing suit. Near her are dead or half-drowned bugs she has rescued drying on the cement. She spots a new bug in the water. She dips a long, dry branch carefully into the water, fishes out the bug, and gently deposits it on the cement. She uses a twig or blade of grass to turn the bug right side up. Michael enters in swim shorts carrying a beach towel and watches her. She is intent on the new bug. At last, he addresses her. Hey. Hey. I couldn't find you in the room, or the lobby, or out on the courts. I figured you were sick of the beach. So I suited up and hoped you were here. What you doing? Rescuing bugs. Oh yeah? Yeah. Something I used to do when I was a kid. We didn't have a pool, but my parents' best friends did. And I didn't really like their kids. They were older than I was and obnoxious. So when we went there, I'd rescue drowning bugs from the pool where the filter got them and dried them out on the patio it made me feel like a god. How so? The basic sense that I was reanimating them and returning them back to life, like Dr. Frankenstein. That life was mine to bestow and take away. The sun would beat down the insects and they'd lie completely still, but then they'd dry out and breathe. And at last they'd extend their feelers and move their legs, and I took the credit for it. It was me, not the sun that was filling them with energy. Lazarus bugs. Yeah, I enjoyed bringing them back. Hmm. You must have been a pretty strange kid. I was as nerdy as they come. I warned you when you first met me. I know how to present myself socially now when I want to. It's entirely an illusion. I'm still a hardcore nerd at heart. You are so proud of that. It's a crucial part of your identity. In this place it is. Why in this place in particular? I knew we shouldn't have come here together, Michael. I warned you not to take me. Look, I told you how it would be. The first couple of days, we got those meetings. The presentations, we have to look busy. And now comes the time people get to relax. That's not it. You don't like the Caribbean? I love the Caribbean, and I'm grateful to you for bringing me for free. But I should have trusted my niggling sense of... Anti-corporate snobbery? I was going to say foreboding. You know... This resort is not where I necessarily would have chosen to come, but I had to be here. It's not just some tax write-off nonsense. We've gotten some good work done. And in the downtime, I wanted to be with you. But you're happy in this culture. I feel you're at home here. I seem to be enjoying it more than you. Yeah. Should I feel guilty about that? Should I hang my head in shame? No, it's nobody's fault. It is what it is. What is what what is? If two people are incompatible and they realize it, there doesn't have to be a bad guy. How are we not compatible? We'll never come to this place again. Next conference that comes up, I'll go off alone and send you a postcard. But since we're here now, why can't I enjoy myself? You enjoy the squash and the tennis and the swimming and the gym and the lazing at the beach and the golf. Yes. And the guys from the office, the new people you're meeting, the couples. You're having fun with them. The people we meet in the dining hall and the seedy lounge singer. You want to dance. You want to play the party game. Some of it. 
I like some of the people. Some of the stuff is tacky, but what the hell? You enjoyed Lobster Night and Luau Night. Yes. I feel like I'm trapped in a love boat, but it's on land. I used to like to watch the love boat when I was a kid. Okay. And Fantasy Island. So there. You're entitled. And I used to enjoy the beautiful Mount Airy Lodge commercials. I thought it looked like a wonderful place. I wanted to be grown up and in love with somebody and go there. Don't believe the hype. So, Joan... Do you just not believe in being happy? Having fun? I find this place obscene somehow. It's like going to Haiti Club Med or something. No, it's not. Even I would never do that. Okay, whatever. I don't understand why you have to go through life sneering and being sour about everything. Getting disgusted with me if I happen to be conventional in some ways and I like to have a good time. Come on, Michael. You lose patience with me, too. When we're meeting new people or having lunch with the vice president and you're all grumpy and antisocial. If I excuse myself and say I want to lie down, if I don't want to enter the limbo contest or do the stupid pet tricks or whatever that cheesy MC was trying to get us to do last night. I just think you could be a little more gracious about it. Smile a little, make your voice less harsh, take the sting out of what you say to people. Including me. Michael, you're in a fast-growing business. True. To have the career you want to have, you're going to need a wife with a capital W to host dinner parties for you. Not necessarily. To go to lunch with the vice president, yes. And the client, and laugh a tinkly little laugh, and bond with the client's wife, and... Where do you get this stuff? You're going to need a woman all the other guys feel comfortable with. Right? To show them you're a regular guy, you're a team player, you passed all the personality profile standardized tests. You have such a caricatured view of the world I live in. Okay. Maybe. Maybe I do. What you definitely do not need is a certified freak like myself. Okay? Because there's just too much sunshine here, and the drinks are too pastel, and everything tastes like coconuts or pineapples and the luxuries are too luxurious and everybody is warm and carefree and friendly and right now all I want is to be back in my studio spattered with paint with lots of clutter no sunlight working on the series I'm doing. You're in art withdrawal. We knew that might happen. A series of paintings which when you see them will strike you as pointless and grotesque and utterly unhealthy. And what am I doing here? And what am I doing with you? It's mean of me to be here with you. I like your unhealthy art. It's made me interested in art in the way I never was in college. But you wouldn't want the people around you to see it. You're wrong. Completely wrong. I'm proud of it. Yeah, maybe there are a few pieces... You see? ...that it took me time to get used to. So we don't start people off with those people from my world. But I am proud of you, Jim. Proud of what you do. Maybe a little intimidated and envious. I don't want to intimidate you. You make me feel like the snob, like like you say, and it's not like I think either my way or your way is better. I know you think I do, but- Show, show me the bugs. What? Michael gets on his hands and knees and crawls over to where her bugs are. Introduce me, and tell me what they are. People will be weirded out. This one came by and when she saw what I was doing, she let out a scream, and the staff are giving me dirty looks. If they kick us out, then they kick us out. Show me your bugs. Well, the giant ant is self-explanatory. I see what you mean about them extending their field. Yeah, she's going to be okay. I like how they clean and polish up their antennae, like a mouse watching its face or whiskers or something. Gee. Of course. 
Most ants you run into are females. Soldiers, workers, same with bees. It's only an animated movie, so they make them all male, because they figure boys can't identify with female characters, but girls had better start early and learn to identify with male ones. Okay. Bypassing the feminist rage. What's that over there? Some kind of lace one. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah. But it's hatted. Yeah, you can tell. It's just limp. Wilted. So sometimes they start out that way, and they rally and surprise you, but sometimes dead is dead. And that one? That's the one I just fished out, some kind of beetle. So, they got cockroaches at the Sandbar Resort and Spa. Charming. I don't think it's a cockroach. It crawled out of the grass, probably. You know, there are a lot of black beetles out there, Michael, and they're not all cockroaches. How does it look to you? Well, I had hopes, but it's looking to me like it's going to stay dead also. Like I love. Right? She shrugs. He moves away and dangles his feet in the water. Or maybe it'll be like that O. Henry story. What's the one where the ivy leaf stays alive through the storm? One last leaf of ivy on the wall so the sick girl looking out the window doesn't die? It's not real ivy. The starving artist who likes to do abstract work nobody buys paints it on the wall. His one realistic painting, and then he dies in the cold, but the sick girl thinks the ivy leaf is real, and it saves her. That's the twist ending. That's right. And that's what makes it a Henry story. Okay. Yeah. Now... What were the odds we would both know about that arcane little number? I mean, would you concede that that's a reasonably obscure thing for both of us to know about? Yes, it's reasonably obscure. And does that, or does that not, keep happening to us? That we... It turns out, we both know about or care about these bizarro, obscure things. It happens sometimes. And what does that say to you? I mean... Even if I do like this resort, guilty as charged. If I enjoy the company of some of my colleagues. Even if I am a love boat watching Fantasy Island watching whore. Even if I do spend my days back in the city, in the evil, boring, corporate world, and I happen to be good at what I do. What if I want to spend my free time with you? But you were never antisocial. You were never a nerd. But what if I like nerds? Could I maybe be an honorary nerd? Michael... I spent years at that bratty prep school, and they polished me up against my will. I learned to smile warmly and have a firm handshake and all these pleasant little social skills, and I still hate them. It's not me. So I'll try not to make you act that way. And it's being around all these Pollyanna forced happiness. It makes me grouchy. It makes me withdrawal. And that will only hurt me. What if I'm a masochist? Ever think of that? You're sweet, and you try to be good to me, but... I embarrass you. I can feel myself doing it in my messy apartment and studio horrify you. You're neat and you're practical and you're punctual and you're organized. But I make corny, nerdy jokes. And I never liked Baywatch. Do I get points for that? We need to think ahead. Not at all. You're being too practical and organized. Come stick your feet in the pool. What? Come sit next to me and dangle your feet in the water. Come on. You can be miserable the whole time, I promise. He pats the edge of the pole, continues to coax her. She sighs and sits next to him. I do like you, but... Shh. That's it. He wraps the towel around both their shoulders. Now, the thing for you to keep in mind is that you hate this. <laughs> it sickens you. I'm behaving like a frivolous frat boy here. You must not have fun. 
He makes a silly, grim face. You hear me, Joni? Don't smile. Stop. There's mayhem and destruction all over the world, and we're all going to die someday, and it's going Michael. to be painful and horrible, so do not have fun. Michael. Huh? Huh? Hmm. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, hey, watch that. Watch that. You almost smiled there. you got to nope. be careful nope. now. Look in the water. See those feet down there? Uh-huh, yes. Okay, now watch out, because my big old feet are going to nibble on your puny little feet and try to eat them, but life is very sad and serious, so don't smile. His feet move through the water and go after hers. He makes chomping noises. Feetfish! 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 Okay, okay, okay. So now let's really embarrass ourselves. Let's see how much we can splash. He splashes her with some water. She puts Stop her hands it! up. Stop it! That's undignified! What do you think this is? A spring break movie? <sighs> okay, so let's look like idiots in front of everyone at the pool. We're hardcore nerds now. Come on, let's really splash! What? Are you embarrassed? Are you that hung up on convention? Pull your weight oh. here, Joan! She begins to splash, too. He makes a series of silly noises as they drench themselves and get water all around them. Oh no! I've lost control! Michael, stop! I'll never win the yuppie of the year uh, award now! Wait! Michael, wait, wait! What? It's too late to turn back! No! Seriously! The bugs! You think we're getting them? Michael stops kicking. Joan takes the towel. Let me just dry off so I don't drip on them. She crawls over to the bugs and inspects them. How are they? They're doing okay. How's the black beetle doing? Okay. Okay? Who's moving? Yeah. It's moving a leg. But I probably painted that leg on, right? Like an ivy leaf to fool you? No. It's gonna be okay. Well, there you go. You see? No. That means there's hope for us. Because a cockroach moved its leg. You said it wasn't a cockroach. Because a bug moved its leg. I think you should paint these guys. Do another unhealthy series. I thought about that. I've loved books about bugs when I was a kid. Entomology. I used to study the drawings of them. You could have this giant ant washing its feelers facing off against this mouse, or... That's too healthy. Facing off against a giant rat washing its face. On the other side of the canvas, just saying hello to each other. Nah, I don't think so. Or you do a series, a person putting on makeup, maybe brushing her hair in a mirror, an ant primping its feelers in a mirror, a rat cleaning its whiskers in a mirror, same pose each time. I wouldn't paint that. Well, I would, and I can't. So, you paint it for me. What is it you think you see when you look at me, Michael? Hey. Hey, now now don't you patronize me, Madame Grumpy. Whoa. What say we put your friends back in the grass, the live ones, and then go back to the room and take a nap? Or whatever comes up. Uh -huh. And if I'm very good, maybe you'll dance with me a little tonight? And then later we can stay up and discuss global warming. Or landmines, or refugee camps, or anything you like, okay? I'm some kind of rebellion for you, I guess. You're a bug rescuer. You're a powerful goddess. You're right that my world can be kind of dull. I need someone who can look past all that when they look at me. If you can do that, then we've got a chance. Hmm? Hmm. I've got the beetle. You can move the ant. With your fingers? 
Real nerds always pick up bugs with our fingers. He waves it in her face for a moment and deposits it in the grass. She picks up hers with her fingers also and does the same. Then she goes back for the lace wing. I feel the lace wing should go in the grass too. That's right. Let's show a little respect for the dead. Maybe you're a stranger guy than I thought, Michael. Hard one praise. <laughs> Have we got a deal about tonight? About the dancing? I'll ask them to play La Cucaracha. Yep. Getting stranger all the time. Lights fade. Hey, everybody, it's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Well, hello, and welcome back for another episode of Lights Up Season 2, and I am so excited to use a Season 1 word. (laughs) So welcome back, Christy Gallo. She is here, baby's in tow. Well, so welcome back, Christy. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing so good. It's so good to be back and see your smiling face. Um, And I'm so excited for us to speak with Judy Class today. We are going to be discussing her play, uh, Bug Rescuing. So Judy, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Judy, where are you joining us from? I live in Nashville. Um, I teach at Vanderbilt and I'm teaching a summer class and hanging out at home. Well, that's, again, serendipitous because our two actors, um, Joseph and Lauren, who you just heard perform Bug Rescuing, um, live in Nashville as well. So Judy, to dive into your play a little bit, um, give us a little bit of history about this. What, uh, when when did you write it and what inspired it? Wow, I, I should have looked up the dates. All I can say is that very often I write one act plays because I see a call for a kind of a play and I think I could never write that or how could one do that? And then I get an idea and then I have to write it. 
and so I submit it and it doesn't win and then something else happens with it. So somebody was, there was in, I was living in New York and there was a, a theater company that was going to do plays on the roof of a hotel that had a, a pool and they were going to do, they wanted plays in the pool, real swimming plays. This is not a real swimming play, but it is a poolside play. And ultimately it didn't, the, the guy wrote back, he liked it, but he really wanted plays in the pool. So I didn't make it. Wow. So it all centered around the water for you. That's where it started, basically. That's where it started. And and I just sort of thought, what what could happen in a pool? I thought, what could characters be talking about at a pool? And I thought about being a strange little kid who did like to sort of rescue bugs from the water. I can't remember what year, though, I wrote it. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I loved the little detail of, of her rescuing these bugs. I did that same thing when I was a kid. And so reading it made me go, oh, there's other people like me that, that think that same way. I actually got stung by a bee once that I rescued out of a pool. Um, oh, so the yeah. irony is rife there. But I really, I really loved that so much. I, I grew up with a pool in my backyard and I did the same thing. I scooped the beetles up out of the pool or the lizards or the whatever. So... You know, there's maybe there's more bug rescuing women out there than we know. <laughs> and also, that's a part of Lauren's personality of someone who I personally know. Yeah, she, she had a nice, intense quality, you know, playing the role. I, I thought, just listening. Yeah, to Christy and I both agreed this was a really brilliant performance, brilliant reading by both of them. I agree. I, th I think they sounded really good. Um, so for me, it's it's amazing that this started with the pool and we both had this kind of um, reaction where we said that it was so refreshing to listen to this play and we were just bathing in its simplicity yet specificity. So to hear that, um, that so many people were given a prompt to write for water and they did these big epic journeys and you wrote this simple, beautiful play, that was, that was a quality that I think we clung to the most. And for me, it was one of the most refreshing plays that we've had this season that I, I really felt an exhale as I was listening to this one for this season. Um, it was the first time I wasn't thinking about COVID. It was definitely written uh, pre-COVID. I think it's sort of romantic. I'm sort of rooting for them. I hope they manage to stay together, though the differences between them are real. That was actually a question I was going to ask you that I was going to be like, it could be off the record if you want, but what do you picture for these two? Do they make it work or are, you know, is it compromise or is it uh, compatibility? I, you know, I, I think he makes a good pitch. I sort of want people at the beginning to sort of agree with her that it's hopeless. And then he makes this strong pitch and I want the audience like her to be saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe this will work out. So, but I don't know. I... They, they go off, you know, in a short play, characters go off and do whatever they do. And I'm not there. I don't know what's going to happen. So absolutely. So, so what has your journey as a playwright been? When did how did you get started? Um, I come from a family of writers. Um, I think I write plays more than other people in my family do or did. I um, in the late 90s uh, started having one acts and some full length plays produced. And I lived in New York, it's sort of theater community in New York. It's it, it certainly in, in the past. Yeah, it was harder in Nashville to find like a, a theater critique group. That's getting a lot better. There's more and more of a theater community in Nashville. Now one of the groups has moved online. So every few weeks I can have a scene read, you know, it all happens virtually. But there were years when I sort of felt isolated. I'm a songwriter and Nashville is great for having a community of songwriters. As a playwright, I felt a little uh, orphaned here for, for, a, for a long time. I moved here in 2006. 
But for years I lived in, in New York and I had plays go up there and in other parts of the country. Um, I have one play that was actually in a mystery festival in Kentucky. Uh, it was nominated for an Edgar and it's published by Samuel French Concord. And, you know, I'm, I just, I write, I send stuff out <laughs> and I don't give up the day job <laughs> as with songwriting. Yeah. And so you said you come from a family of writers. So was that being an artist is not always seen as a career possibility if that's not fostered in your youth? Like it takes you becoming, you know, maybe a teenager. Oh, oh, I can do this, right? That light switches on. Was it always just presented to you as a possibility if you come from a family of writers of like, this is something you can do with your life? And where did that flip from um, from songwriting to, to playwriting? Was, or did it go interchangeably? Um, I mean, my mother wrote novels for adults and YA books. Uh, my father wrote more academic stuff, though he also wrote some science fiction and other things. My uncle wrote science fiction. So, and my sister writes novels, and my brother writes screenplays, and, and people do different things. It was, sort of, it was sort of required that we be writers, but I think it was also understood, don't give up the day job, because the odds are against being able to make a living at it. Um, so, a, a lot of us also are in academia, you know, and, and teach. So, do you have a favorite part of the playwriting process? Um, because one of the things I loved about this piece, um, and this um, beautiful relatability to it. It very, it really exposes that part of the relationship where you are trying to figure out how you communicate and how you connect and will this work and things like that. Do you enjoy, is that a typical writing style for you? Is that, is, or is, was that specific to this piece? I mean, what happened with this piece is what you hope will happen. And what happens when sort of the stars align and everything comes together is you reach a point where you're just eavesdropping on somebody's conversation or your stenographer, you know, and you don't tell them what to say. They're telling each other and you're just sort of trying to keep up and you're writing it down. And that's what you hope for. And, and that did happen with this play. My favorite part of the process is when the uh, characters take on a life of their own and their relationship and whatever they're arguing about or discussing or joking about, I can't really predict what they're going to say next. That's, that's sort of heaven. Yeah, but that flow state that a lot of people will talk about. Um, so I'm curious, and, and maybe this question doesn't really apply because it sounds like this play and these characters really took on a life of their own, but it was really interesting to get this take on a relationship, this like very relatable, no major drama conflict through a female's lens. And there is a little bit of like a, we were picking up on some kind of feminist principles of like, the man's making a pitch, but he's not coming in as a white knight. He's not trying to save this woman in any way. He's not trying to really change her. And we do have this female character who's kind of reckoning with her identity of, of how we're told we have to be when we're young girls. And then maybe as we come into adulthood, it's like, well, I kind of really want to be the weirdo that they beat out of me back in grade and boarding school, you know? So is that a, a conscious choice that you made even maybe in the editing process after these characters took over? Is that something that's just in, inherent in you? I mean, I'm aware that uh, women playwrights don't get produced that much and women characters on stage, a lot of plays have a lot more male roles, though there are often more women who are auditioning. And I'm aware that women are sort of less strange and it's less about their own lives. So I sort of like to write plays where women are talking about other things, you know, whether they're talking to other women or they're in a relationship with a guy or whatever. But I, I, I wouldn't say that I sort of say, now I will write a play that, you know, again, you just sort of have to 
set the characters in motion and, and, and see what they say to each other. But that's something that I think it's nice if you can create, you know, a greater variety of roles for women to play, certainly. Being that you got to listen to a recording of this, but not actually see it on its feet with these actors actually playing it. Did you have any kind of experiences just getting to, you know, I, um, I mean, I, I, like I said, I thought they were, they were strong. I mean, it makes sense if they're married, they have good chemistry, you know, and, and uh, they sort of went through different, different colors or different phases of the conversation, you know, the moods, there are sort of tonal shifts, which are nice. Um, I like the, the, the sound effects of the water because, you know, I, I feel that adds. Yeah, no, I, th I thought it was a, I thought it was a strong performance and, a, and and I think it's a play that worked well as an audio. Have you had a chance to see this play performed live? Yeah, it's it's been produced and uh, was produced once in California. I didn't go out for it, but they uh, sent me a, a DVD. Yeah, that's we had one playwright who was able to both experience a version of the play live and then over Zoom. Um, and then uh, also hearing it. And, you know, I asked her, I said, as you were listening to the play, were you seeing your previous experiences or, or was it was it a new experience for you? And I'm, I'm curious if, if that happened. Were you kind of living in some memory state with previous productions or, or can you just listen to the new version that you're hearing? No, I was listening to it uh, as, as a new... Um you know, in a new version. You mentioned that you still have your day job and you are teaching. Um, I'm curious, having writing always be a part of your life, but like you said, having another career path, do you have a specific process or schedule for when you're writing? How do you, how do you work that out to balance both in your life? Well, when sort of it's term paper season and when I have a lot of classes, there's no time for writing. I, th I think sometimes, so I, I go through phases. Um, I wrote a, just a flurry of plays in the last year or two. And so I, I think I sort of stop because I sort of want more of them to be produced. And when I sort of feel like I've used up my inventory, at least for first productions, then maybe I'll be writing again. But I, I don't have a schedule. I don't sort of say between two and three every day, I will work on a play. I, I, I'm, I'm not that kind of a writer. Do you have any playwrights that you feel have really influenced your work? Um... Oh, just a million, uh, a lot of them. I mean, I like Tennessee Williams. Um, I'm, I've been feeling bad about Terrence McNally. He died right at the start of COVID. Um, Robert Anderson, uh, long time ago guy, you know, tea and sympathy, but I just like the subtext of certain scenes. I, I think I might have learned something from him. I mean, I don't know. My, my folks took me to the theater, to Shakespeare in the Park from a really early age. And, you know, took me to see like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof when I was like seven. I mean, I had no idea what they were talking about. I mean, it's really not a play where a seven-year-old is going to be able to follow what's going on. I like that the kids were called no-neck monsters and they ran around being obnoxious. And that's sort of all I remember. But they they took us to the theater a lot and they sort of, and so I was, I was exposed to a lot of good stuff. Is there anything about the theater world, particularly from the perspective of a female playwright, where you're like, if I could just wave a magic wand and fix this one thing about the theater world, I would. I wish women got produced more. I wish, uh, you know, I, I, I see competitions and uh, the fact that women, you know, write half the plays and, and are sort of only 12% of the people produced, I wish that was more of an issue. I'm, I'm very aware of issues of other playwrights from other backgrounds and other groups being underrepresented. And, but I just wish more people were aware that this is a thing and it's not right. 
how underrepresented women are, how underproduced they are. You know, we are doing our best to amplify that, but it is, it is, um, it is a problem that, you know, as two female co-hosts, we were very aware of and that we've definitely pushed for. Yeah. I think part of it too is, is perhaps, um, more producers. We need we need more producers to be aware of that, and maybe we need more female producers. Well, and Judy, at the beginning, you had mentioned that you taught at Vanderbilt, and I'm so sorry if I missed the detail. What is it that you teach? Anything to let me teach. <laughs> I'm teaching a course on adaptation where we uh, read a novel and then watch the film version, or we read some of Emma and we watch a movie of Emma, and then we watch Clueless, and we, you know, so so just sort of. Uh, we redo Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, and then we watch Blade Runner, and then they can choose one one pairing to sort of write about. Uh, I teach courses for English. I teach some courses for Jewish studies, uh, but sort of pop culture stuff. So uh, Jewish songwriters, so it's sort of Irving Berlin through Bob Dylan through Lou Reed through, I mean, just, just whatever strange thing they let me. Or I teach a course called Jewish Science Fiction, which maybe doesn't is not a thing, but there are enough interesting writers to, to make it fun. I, I just, I teach whatever they let me teach. <laughs> I try to teach stuff that I actually enjoy reading or watching. So, cause I have to read it and watch it again every term. And, and you mentioned adaptation, um, is a class or adaptations you're teaching for this Maymester. Um, we just had uh, a playwright who did an homage to Beckett and to waiting for Godot um, have you ever tried your hand at doing any sort of adaptations for your I writing? I did. I heard someone, I saw some theater company and they said we want sort of cyberpunk and steampunk. And uh, our ideal play would be like a post-apocalyptic dystopian version of Tartuffe. And I was like, how could anyone even do it? And then I thought, oh no, I know how to do it. And now I have to write <laughs> it because I have plots so rarely. So I wrote it and I wrote it in verse because I'm insane, you know, and I put in all these perfect rhymes that Nashville wouldn't like. Well, you're a songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course it didn't win them. They, I never heard back from them. You know, I said, I've written what you said would be your dream play. Absolute silence, radio silence. And then, as I said, other things happened with it. So it uh, won some competitions and it was a finalist in others and it was in the New York Fresh Fruit Festival. And I would love to see it go up again because that was in 2015. The world became much more dystopian shortly afterward. And, you know, there were iterations of The Handmaid's Tale, you know, and, 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 and new versions of various things. And it's set in a future sort of fundamentalist America, you know, a little like that, you know, but I wrote it back. So anyway, but yes, I have a play called After Tartuffe, meaning both sort of after someone has read Tartuffe because someone, it involves someone really finding the old or looking for an old text version of Tartuffe, but it's sort of after Tartuffe, like in the style of, or in the manner of. Tartuffe. Oh my gosh. That, is, the, is that published? Is that one of the ones that's been published? Because I would love our listeners mm -hmm. to be able to access that if that is available to them. And it's not, it's not available. Uh, it's not published, but anyone who wants to could write to me if anyone wanted to produce it or read it. I'm, I'm very open to, uh, Getting it out there. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I've been to some of the um, plays at the Fresh Fruit Festival, and there's always really great, fun stuff there. So also anyone listening in New York who has access to that, check it out. I know. It sounds so cool. I'm like, who does stuff like that? I love Unique. Yeah, no, it's, it's a weird one. It's, it's, it's a slightly unusual piece, but, you know. And what about any musicals? Have you written any musicals? I have. I have a musical, and it had a reading at Emerging Artists in 2018. It's called Senator Scrooge, and it's about, it's a Chris, version of the Christmas Carol about a miserable old senator and uh, the ghost of his 
sort of mentor who used to be the 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 older senator from his state um is there any genre like you know i feel like bug rescuing is bug bug rescuing is pretty like naturalistic in tone you're talking about this you know adaptation post-punk inspired by a classic you know then you've got the christmas carol musical scrooge is there any kind of genre that you haven't tackled yet that you're really trying to or dying to? That's interesting. No, I mean, I've, I've had some luck with murder mysteries. You know, like I said, the one called Cell, which is published by Samuel French Concord. Uh, I had one called Country Fried Murder, that one in the sort of the Shawnee Playhouse, their SOPS competition, and they did it in 2019. And I have one called Cozy Murder, which just recently had a reading over Zoom. So, it did, you know, they no longer give Edgars for, for mysteries and stuff anymore, but... Uh, and there aren't that many people produce because there aren't that many people producing mystery plays except the sort of dinner theater, like a big game of Clue while you eat your dinner, but not like real plays. Um, and, and I think that's too bad. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have some comedies. I have some more serious uh, drama. I mean, I have some ideas for plays. I have an idea for something complicated like Stoppard's Arcadia kind of thing. And we'll see if I ever... Wow. sort of get it together and write it but it's 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 a lot of puzzle pieces to fit together yeah that's for that's... anybody who doesn't know you should definitely look that up but it is an epic kind of uh generational story um that that and i i was able to see that when it was was up here in new york and it is yeah it's a big undertaking but um just based mm-hmm. on this 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 conversation and the dialogue that I've heard from bug rescuing, I'd be so curious to hear a huge epic generational tale from you, Judy. I feel like that would be fascinating. So do you have any favorite theater experiences or theater memories either as, I don't know if you've done directing or anything like that, but, or as a playwright or songwriter? Oh, gee, I mean, a a lot of, you know, theater memories. I mean, just as an audience member, like I said, just being a kid and going to Shakespeare in the park. Um, I've directed some of my own stuff, and that can be a, a really good experience when you've got a good cast and it comes together. It's also wonderful sometimes to walk in cold and you have no idea. Um, you, you haven't been to a single rehearsal, and you see what other people have done, and that can be wonderful. Um, and, and like I said, this this audio production of Bug Rescue is a really nice experience. I don't know. The, the, yeah, lots of good experiences along the way. I mean, this year there have been... It's, it's been nice to sort of get to know some companies around the world where, where, where it's sort of becoming international since everything's virtual, since everything's going on over Zoom. Um, it's been nice. And I had a couple of plays that were filmed and stre- they stream from a platform called The Shelter Plays. Um, and, and that was a cool experience. One was written to be like a Zoom play. One was not, but it, it had to do with COVID and they filmed it and stream it. And they started it with a song of mine and I feel like that's been a sentiment that we've heard from playwright after playwright is they've been able to reach so many more people in in places and in, in continents and in, in countries and states that they never would have before. And that has really made me joyous. Do you prefer to write? Um, I know you've said you've done full lengths and musicals. Um, do you, we've asked playwrights this and there's varying answers. Do you find it uh, easier or more difficult to write a short you know, 10 minute one act play? Well, I mean, I have a background in stand up and sketch comedy from long ago from like college. So in some, sometimes if you write a funny 10 minute play, you're really writing a sketch, you're writing in a sort of SNL kind of sketch. That doesn't mean there isn't sort of a, 
a good way to do it and a way to give it depth, sort of like a short story as opposed to a novel. I mean, I think I started writing one act thinking um, I'll develop a relationship with theaters and, and they'll, they'll do my one act and then later they'll do my full lengths and that doesn't happen. You are a true artist, Judy. Like just like giving yourself over to the craft and like Christy and I both were like, wait, you do stand up? Like, I don't know if you saw our eyebrows go up. We're like, not, not lately, why are we not talking you. about this? Like you are, I'm in awe of you right now. I know Christy, you were going to make a comment too, but I just wanted to say I'm very in awe of you. <laughs> And I was going to ask a question because how fascinating, I've never considered this before, that certainly length of the piece might indicate the likelihood of it being produced. I never necessarily thought about that. Maybe there's like a dark hole of like, hey, you're going to, you're more likely to get produced if you do a 10 minute piece or if you do a, do you feel like are one acts the and I can say this as a redhead, I feel okay to say this, are one acts like the redheaded stepchild of the original works? Well, I mean, often <laughs> one acts are the only ones that get produced. And certainly when I was starting out, and you sort of, you want a resume, you want theaters to take you seriously, if you send them a full-length play, it's good to be able to say, my plays have been produced in these cities, at these theaters, and a lot of places do sort of 10-minute play festivals and one-act play festivals. And now it gets down to sort of five-minute play festivals and one-minute play festivals. And I, you know, it, it, it helps you sort of say, yes, I'm a playwright. Look, look, look at my body of work that's been produced. But it's, it's a lot harder to get a full-length uh, play produced. And you can sort of go for years where you've had five or ten short plays produced and, and no full-lengths produced. So... I know that's fascinating. I've never considered that before, but it does make sense. And I do feel, you know, in the same way that music, you know, we went from to LPs to CDs to MP3s where now nothing is physical anymore. I don't know about you, but I miss the days of like buying. I'm a music I, I miss, girl, so because I miss. I'm a songwriter and songwriters actually got paid back at the time, whereas with streaming, they, they get paid nothing. So, you know, I'm all for it. But I, I also think, yeah, there, there could be whole albums that have when I teach the, the Jewish songwriting, I sort of say, you know, go on YouTube and listen to Carol King's Tapestry or listen to sort of, you know, Lou Reed's Transformer or, you know, that the, there's certain that there was an era of albums and, and what songs are on the album. They're, they're all together in a group. They're, they're you know, a Janice in between the lines. They're meant to fit together in a certain way. And you, you can't just listen to the single. You know, you're missing something unless you listen to the whole album. Yeah. So I, I, I do say that to them. You know, but I, I also, I understand why theaters um, have these 10-minute play festivals because, and often that's the only time they do new work. And other than that, they do plays that are by, by famous playwrights is they sort of say, well, if we have an evening of that many plays and that many directors and that many casts, everybody's inviting their Aunt Sally and their best friend and, and will fill the theater. And they're afraid if they produce uh, new work, by just one playwright, they wouldn't be able to do that. So I think, is there anything else that we kind of want to touch on before we do our, our three questions? No, we just always like to give our playwrights a chance to plug themselves. Uh, okay, uh, so shameless self-promotion. Um, my name is Judy Class, spelled K-L-A-S-S. So if you if people can go to judyclass.com and they'll see a lot of stuff about the different things I write. Going to Samuel French Concord um, would be the way to get my play sell, my full-length play sell. I'd love for more productions of that. Great. And the best place to contact you is through your website then. I think if they go to the website, my, my email address should be there. Excellent. Yeah. And Gary will put um, the website address up in our 
um, episode notes as well. So people can see it right there as well. Do you have a favorite word or a word that just delights you? I don't know. I'm thinking that I like the word splurge, but I'm wondering if I ever use it in a play. I have no idea. I think I like the word tamarind. I like to eat tamarind. Mm. There's not enough tamarind in Nashville. They're good. It's, you know, not that kind of town. (laughs) Is there a place that is maybe a favorite or holds a memory or is very dear to you or comforting or joyful? Um... I went to a summer camp when I was growing up, and one thing that happened during COVID is everyone got in touch with their old sort of, you know, fellow campers from 30 or 40 or 50 years earlier. So we were especially a couple months ago sort of meeting online once a week, and and it was sort of a hippie camp, so we'd sing folk songs at each other over the internet, and unfortunately you can't sing together. You know, but so that that was a nice place. That's where I started writing songs. Oh my God, I was so. hoping you'd say that you sang camp songs together. That really, I was really hoping that's where that was going. So you did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, they're, they're unusual camp songs because sort of my, you know, my husband says that, you know, at camp they'd sing sort of John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt. And I was like, we didn't sing that. We sang Tin Soldiers and Nixon's Coming. We're finally on our own. You know, you're nine years old. This summer I heard the drumming for dead in Ohio. And it was just a very different camp. So, okay. So last question, is there an item in your house that is either particularly nostalgic or has a history that is precious to you? Um, item in my house. I don't know. I mean, I think there are sort of, you know, my folks are, are gone. So there are some plates that they bought me that it's just nice to use because these are plates my folks got me, but I, I don't, I can't think of one item in my house that sort of has this great totemic value like off, off the top of my head I can't I don't know I mean, family china is pretty big we have yeah there's memories around that in my family too so <laughs> no I totally get it it's funny how the little things actually have this I don't know it's this familial ties where you're like it probably doesn't mean anything to anybody else but to me like that's a that's, that's kind of precious you know like that's an important yeah. thing perfect evening judy thank you so much for joining us thank you for allowing us to use bug rescuing um i'm really looking forward to having everyone hear this this has been this has been a really lovely play really great addition to lights up thank you okay no thank you again for producing it it's a it's a really fine production thanks a lot Last time we came in laughing. Remember that, Dana? We were like, <laughs> well, that's because it was about Beckett. So we were like, should we all be like, mm, or like, I don't know, doing butterfly wings or something? Those bug noises. I can do that with my thumb, but you're not going to no. hear it. It's like, <laughs> really close to your headphones. Um, all right. Well, you just heard our interview with Judy Klatt, who wrote Bug Rescuing. And now we are joined by producer and director of the production, Gary Lee Posey. Hi, Gary. Hi, ladies. You love talking to us, ladies. Gary and his two ladies. <laughs> oh, oh my God! I wish my mom heard that. <laughs> she, <laughs> she would love. She'd love that. And that's probably a really good song. Uh, we could ask Judy to write. Gary and his two ladies. Yeah, I mean, right. it would be a takeoff on cabaret, I would think. Beedle dee dee. Um. So we had friends friends of our lives, friends of ETC, and married couple Joseph Bromfield and Lauren Ellen's act and do lend their voices to this. And 
that was really lovely. Yeah. How did you decide to cast them for this? Um, well, I've known Joseph since he was 12. But anyway, Joseph and I go way back and he's been uh, just, he, he was a student and then became a really good friend. And we've just kept in touch. And then, of course, when you and he went to grad school together, that was just like the pinnacle of everything. Because while you were there, you met my friend Denise, which is also very strange and cool. Uh, but anyway, so so yeah, I just uh, we keep Joseph involved when we can, and and since he's moved back to Nashville, we you know have had him do a couple of things with us virtually over the past year, and I thought this would be a really fun. You know, Casey, who helps cast and, and does uh, all of that, she did, let's do Joseph. And I was like, you know what? Let's do Joseph and Lauren. And let's do this play. Because this guy is Joseph. This guy is the person who will do anything to stay in the relationship with the person that he loves. Was this man was so interested in being a part of this woman's life, regardless. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, they have their problems and yeah, they have their, their scuffles and their, and their whatevers. But, you know, he's, this is the, this is for me, this was the moment where he wasn't going to let her get away, you know? Mm. So, so this was, and this was my first introduction to, to Lauren. I, um, you mine know, too, I, mine too. Yeah. So I, which I adored her reading. Um, so I'm going to ask you a similar question that, um, Judy answered and as a director, what was your vision for these two? Did you see this like long-term Were you like, yes, they'll work it oh, yeah. out. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and, and as I, you know, one of the things that I told, uh, I told them both in the beginning, I was like, um, this conversation that's happening right now, this, the world of this play, you both knew was coming and you're both prepared for it. And you've never had this conversation before but you're not going to lose this opportunity to have it now. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was like, you know, I, I said to Lauren, I mean, maybe for you, Lauren, you are convinced it's over and you're looking for a reason for it not to be. And Joseph, you're convinced that it's never going to be over and you're looking for a way to prove it, you know? And uh, so that, so for me, yeah, they, this, this, this goes on. This is the, the sort of the climax of, of all of their, problems all of their all of their problems come to a head here and then after this it's smooth sailing when christy and i were talking about um how much we loved the simplicity yet the specificity how you could really like this really is zooming in on a moment of time there's so many layers to this um christy you brought up this awesome point about the title of rescuing bug rescuing it's just an interesting analogy with her rescuing the bugs of the absence of that typical white knight experience yet there is this analogy rife through this whole thing of rescuing where it's like okay so is she rescuing the bug is he the bug is she the bug and he's rescuing her are they just kind of rescuing each other like um i just i just thought the the analogy of it is just very fascinating and gary i don't know if you were able if that if you picked up on that as well, or if that influenced anything for you at all directing. Well, yeah, um, definitely. I think playwrights choose titles for specific reasons and maybe they don't really, maybe the reason that the director thinks the title was chosen isn't the same reason as the 
playwright chose the title. But for me, when I think about the play and the direction of a play when I direct it, it's like, what does the title mean? How does the title fit into the story? So, um, so to have it start off with her doing something that she did in her childhood, it's almost like she's going back to her roots just to find out who she really is. And, um, and for her to rescue herself and to do that, she might think that this is over, you know, that the relationship is over because her roots are telling her one thing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like the, um, the, the beetle who, or this is the lace wing or whichever bug that starts off and he, and they're, and they're moving and you think he's got a chance and then he doesn't. And I just thought that was a, a great metaphor for where, the you know where Lauren's character thought the relationship was heading it's like you know it looks like it's going to be great and on the surface it's great but then when you really get down to the nitty-gritty and time wears on there's nothing there uh and then he's like no we're like you know the ant and we're just going to clean off our feelers we're going to we're going to reset you know and then and 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 I'm going to pick you up with my bare hands because that's what I want to do I I I want to I want to uh, be intimate with you and not necessarily in a sexual or romantic way, but in, in a mental way too, in a, in a way that I want to understand where you're going and what you're going through. And I want you to understand where I'm coming from and what I'm going through. And so for me, it was about finding that, that, that symbiosis. And the fact that they're married, I think helped um, because they were actually sitting next to each other in the same room on the same computer and, you know, I, you, I gave one direction or I gave one note and they were both like, oh, yeah. And then they would whisper to each other like they were taking the note and then expounding upon it amongst themselves so that they understood what to do with each other. And I was like, oh, God, how much do I miss being able to to see that kind of relationships happen on stage, that kind of magic and that kind of chemistry? Don't get to haven't seen that in a long time. And so this was a really cool thing. And I, and I love, Dana, when you said that this is the first time that you didn't hear the play through this COVID lens that you like to talk about. Yeah, it really, I really did realize. I was like, oh, this, this could happen tomorrow. This could happen, could have happened yesterday. This could have happened 10 years ago. And it, I would have felt the same about it. Um, and that's, I realized I was exhaling listening to this and and I think there's you know maybe there's a part of it is that also hearing Joseph and Lauren's voice for me was a comfort um but 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 it was beyond that I was able to kind of remove that within the beginning and just hear these characters which was amazing um and I do love I was gonna ask I love that you mentioned that they kind of have a little bit of a shorthand and, and there's a, there's a double, there's a double whammy there because not only are they married, but they went through the same training program together, right? Like we all got our masters together at the same time. So like they have a married shorthand and an acting shorthand that I'm sure is very rare when you're working with actors for them to just to, especially in a two hander for, for you to hear a note and know that your partner is interpreting it and, a similar way or you have an idea of how your partner is interpreting that note because you know them so well. well yeah yeah and it was i mean i just remember lauren going oh yeah and you can blah 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 and just like oh my god right and then and i was like all right i'll just sit back and watch <laughs> <laughs> i loved it it was it was it was um it was so great and i have not met lauren yet 
So, um, and like I said, I've known Joseph since he was, you know, in middle school. And, and so for this to be the first time that I got to meet Lauren was just perfect. This, this was a perfect play for the, for the two of them. And I think even, I think to our listeners who even don't know them, and this is their first experience with both of them, I think you would agree that you can hear the authentic, authenticity in this. Um, and so I'm just, I'm grateful that you guys use them and I'm grateful we picked this. <laughs> yeah. Well, Judy's play was very sincere and authentic mm -hmm. in my opinion. Uh, and choosing it when I read it, I was like, Oh, I love this play. This is just so it's so what we all need uh, going through the last year, but it's not about the last year. Do you enjoy a challenge? Is your imagination stuck in overdrive? Is your attention span shorter than a Cubs World Series streak? Do you want your work read on Lights Up? Then consider entering our one-page playwright competition, Propped. Incorporate three of the following props into a one-page play. A mannequin covered with confessions. A decapitated head in a duffel bag. A stage ghost light. Green cheese. An old-fashioned camera. Two telephones a cloth face mask, and a ring light. Create a one-page play using any of the three items and submit it to lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. If your piece is selected, we will read it at the end of one of our episodes. Now go forth and write. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theatre company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.